from Los Angeles. This is the Echelon Radio Network. This is Jerry Hemsworth with the Echelon Radio Podcast, and I'm sitting here with Mark Fishman. How you doing? Great, Jerry. How are you? I'm doing okay. Hey, it's Wednesday. Can't get through the week fast enough. (laughs) Come on, Friday. (laughs) Hurry up. (laughs) Giddy up. Yeah, big time. (laughs) Hey, Mark, you're an actuary. An exciting actuary. And and I hear not a, yeah, not a boring one. What is an actuary? We hear that term, and I just don't know what it is. Well, there are different types of actuaries. There are four categories, and they're all insurance-related. Okay. So- You have the health insurance, life insurance, casualty and and property Mm -hmm. risk, Mm -hmm. and then you have pensions. So all the big insurance companies that you know of, you know, the uh, the New York Life and Mm -hmm. all the big insurance companies that are, most of them are based out of and headquartered back east, Mm -hmm. they will try and pull kids out of college who have actuarial degrees to train them and groom them to Mm -hmm. become actuaries in these insurance companies. So what the actuary does is they look at risk. Uh, reserves, cash reserves, and they help determine based on experience that certain areas and industries are experiencing how much is at risk for the insurance company in Mm -hmm. terms of what they're going to have to pay out, what are the odds that they're going to have to have claims, how much money do they need to have in reserves so they have enough money in case there's a big catastrophe, they can pay it out. So the actuaries are determining and what premiums need to be paid so there's enough money coming in versus what's being paid out. So the actuaries are actually mathematically modeling the different kinds of risks, liabilities, and cash reserves that are needed. Mm -hmm. That's not what I do. (laughs) (laughs) So those are the insurance company actuaries. Got it. I'm in a consulting world where we design retirement plans to Mm -hmm. determine how much is needed at retirement for companies and their employees to figure out what they need to contribute and put into these plans every year so they're funding the plans properly based on how many employees there are, what are the liabilities, what are they going to have to pay out at retirement. Okay. But the real bottom line is that's the theoretical idea of what a pension actuary does. Uh But what I really do is I help clients determine how to get the biggest deduction because what goes into these plans is deductible. And so I do a reverse- As a business expense? As a business expense. So I do a reverse engineering- to figure out how much they'll need to have a retirement, what, how much they'll have to pay out in order for them to contribute a certain amount that they want to, mm-hmm. to use as a deduction every year. So you work basically with the business owner and or partners. Correct. You don't, you don't that's, you're up there at that level. Yeah, or their financial advisors or their okay. accountants because the accountants know what their tax situation is and how much they need to deduct and write off to save in taxes. Wow. Yeah. And your firm is Actuaries Unlimited, and you're based in Encino. Correct. About how many clients are, or, or accounts are you managing corporate-wide? Yeah. So we have in the number of plans on the books, about twenty-three to 2,400 plans on the books. Whoa. And so that's why we have about 44 employees. Mm-hmm. There's three partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's seven licensed actuaries because... One of the types of plans we work on are called defined benefit plans or cash mm-hmm. balance plans. And those plans require an actuary to certify and sign off on what's being contributed to these plans every year by an actuary. So because we have about a 900 to 1,000 of those plans, mm-hmm. we need to have lots of licensed actuaries on staff. That's why we have seven of us. Wow. 
out of the 44 people. Oh my gosh. So what type of, of actuary, what makes a good actuary versus a not very good actuary? <laughs> I mean, like what would, what are the traits of, of a good actuary? That's actually a really good question. It's interesting because we all follow the same laws and the same rules. Uh-huh. You know, the government passes laws that the actuaries have to follow, just like if you think of accountants. Okay. They all have the same laws and the same rules they have to follow. But of course, some of these laws and rules are gray. It's subject to interpretation. It's how comfortable an actuary is, and they feel that if they ever get audited by the IRS, they could support and argue their position. Mm experience from dealing with the IRS in audits to know what is acceptable by IRS, even if it's a gray area in the law and what is not acceptable, Mm -hmm. what you can push through if you get audited and what you can't. So I think a good actuary is someone who understands and has the experience in dealing with IRS, knows how to push the envelope and where the line is, Mm -hmm. how far the line can go. Do you have too aggressive actuaries, too, too many conservative actuaries? You have to find the one that knows how to push the envelope far enough but not increase the risk of getting audited and getting into trouble for a client. So so that's one thing. The other important aspect of a good actuary versus not such a good actuary mm-hmm. is service. Uh-huh. Key. A lot of actuaries and firms that have actuaries do not provide great service. Mm-hmm. If you could think about it, mm-hmm. these are numbers people. These aren't the most social people. <laughs> Or the business-related people, Mm -hmm. they're like engineers. You know, they're very methodical, very numerical, and they don't understand what service means. They Uh maybe are great with the numbers or reading the law, but they don't know how to service or work with clients or other professionals. So in our practice, we really push for top service. We Mm -hmm. push our employees that you have to respond quickly. You have to give them good advice, explain things in detail, but not too much detail. That's one of the problems of actuaries is they will explain things in too much detail and go over the head of clients and even CPAs and attorneys. The eyes start to glaze over. And they lose them. And they (laughs) lose them. uh... Yeah. So we try hard not to do that. So we have to find that middle ground of where you can relate to a client, explain it well enough, but not lose them. So I kind of think of you as a unicorn actuary. Because you are so... Here, let me move the horn in the middle of my head so it doesn't get in the way of the microphone. <laughs> so you you are so personable and so social and not what you just described as that numbers person that wants to be left alone. And, and, and so how did you get into being and becoming an actuary? It wasn't my primary desire in life, yeah. I admit. I was actually an electrical engineer when I graduated from UCLA way, okay. way back. Uh-huh. And I worked in the aerospace industry, which really didn't hit my fancy. And I uh-huh. got bored and I just didn't enjoy it. I needed something that was more business related uh-huh. that I could understand rather than missile guidance systems and missiles. It just I couldn't relate. <laughs> so uh, I heard about this term actuary. Uh-huh. I didn't even know what it was had no clue whatsoever. And I looked up way back then, there was no Google. So I looked up in the yellow pages, <laughs> actuaries, and there were five actuaries listed. Good old Pack Bell. It worked for me. <laughs> and there were five firms listed. And Actuaries Unlimited was the first one because it was alphabetical. Mm-hmm. I made a cold call, spoke to one of the partners. Luckily, I got through to a partner who spent about 20 minutes on the phone just telling me what an actuary does. Yeah. By the end of the conversation, he said, 
you seem like a nice, intelligent young man. We have an entry-level position. How'd you like to come and work here? All I was calling was to find out what an actuary does. I didn't even know what they did. So I thought about it. Wasn't even con, you know, thinking that to change jobs, but had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. So I said I wasn't sure, and he said, "What have you got to lose? Come in anyway." So that was a Friday afternoon. I went in on Monday. I met him. Wow. Uh, he after the interview, he asked me to come back with mm-hmm. to meet the other partner who wasn't there that Monday. I went back and met the other partner. I still didn't know if I wanted to do this, and they made me an offer, and I said I need to make a change in my life, and I went for it. How old were you? 25. Wow. And I went for it and I started at the bottom. I learned the business. Mm-hmm. I actually left there after four years mm-hmm. because it was a really small firm and there was really no growth potential there mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And after four years, I left and I went to some other firms and then I studied and became a licensed actuary along mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. I was gone for seven years. I stayed in touch with them. Mm-hmm. We were still friends. Mm-hmm. And after seven years being gone, he called me back and said, how'd you like to come work for us again? And I actually said, no, thank you. I'm really? Not, I'm not looking for a job. I'm happy where I am. I'm good, huh? Unless you offer me something more than an employee. Oh. I threw that out. I figured he'd shoot me down faster than anything. And uh, he said, let's talk. So we spent a few weeks, cut a deal. I came back seven years later as a partner. Wow. And never left. Early 30s, you're a partner. Yeah. And that was in 93. That's... And I'm still here. And now we've grown the firm from about nine or 10 people mm-hmm. to 44 people. We've, you know, quite large, have all these actuaries. And uh, it's been a very fun, interesting, and great learning journey for me. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, it was great. When when you're not playing at the office and playing in unicorn <laughs> actuary, <laughs> right. what do you like to do? Well... I've got a few few fun hobbies and passions. So mm-hmm. one of my passions is uh, my partner, Carrie, and I, we mm-hmm. love to travel. So prior to COVID, we every year we made a commitment about 11 years ago in 2010 that we didn't want to wait until we're older to start traveling. Mm-hmm. We want to see the world. So we committed to making one big trip a year starting in 2010, and we've been mm-hmm. all over. We've been to Israel, Turkey, France, Germany, Poland, uh Gosh, where else? Italy. And Italy mm-hmm. turns out to be one of our f- most favorite places to go. Love mm-hmm. Italy, especially Tuscany. Mm-hmm. So traveling up until COVID has uh, been a real passion of ours. And mm-hmm. we decided two years ago we would up the game. Instead of going once a year, we would pay two trips a year. Because nice. age is creeping up. Yeah. And we were running out <laughs> funny of... Funny how uh, that happens. Funny. So we did... So <laughs> we not did, so funny. <laughs> so we did two, two trips right before in the year of 19, before COVID. Last year, of course, nothing. We mm-hmm. have a big trip planned Prior to COVID, we were going to go to uh, Africa for a big African safari, three and a half week trip. Mm. Had to cancel it, reschedule it. We pushed it off from last May to this past October. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this coming October. Mm-hmm. And now we've had to push that off. So now we're hoping to do it next April, May. So okay. we're rescheduling it. Okay. So travel is a big one. Yeah. I would say also when we do travel, we especially when we're in Italy, we love the Italian wines. Mm. So we are somewhat collectors of Italian wines, and we just love going to certain kind of wineries and, and drinking their uh, Brunellos, and just that's my favorite. And so I just love the Italian wines. So we do a little bit of collecting of those. Uh, sports is a big passion of mine. I, I heard grew that. Up, I grew up playing baseball, basketball, football, uh, 
played it my whole life, so I'm a huge Dodgers and a huge Lakers fan. Mm-hmm. Always been since Season a little tickets, kid. Season tickets, I hear. Season tickets. Nice. Go to all so many Lakers games and mm-hmm. and uh, and Dodger games. And unfortunately, last year mm-hmm. was a real bittersweet year. Dodgers and Lakers <laughs> won the championship of the same year, and it was the one year I couldn't go. To either one. Either one. And I've been going to all these games. I went to the Dodgers when they lost. But I think I saw your cardboard ago. cutout. <laughs> no. I swear to God, it no, was you. it wasn't me. No. I never I never did that. <laughs> I should have. I kind of wish I did. But no, so I love going to the games. That's a real passion. Uh, summer nights at the Hollywood Bowl. Mm. My partner and I at work, we share uh, box seats over mm-hmm. at the Hollywood Bowl. So we love you know, going to those events. Uh, summer evening in LA is, is absolutely fantastic. Yes. Love that. And... Um, also, my other passion, which you know about, Jerry, is good old Beatles. Beatles. I'm a Beatles what, fanatic. Is that a nice way to say it? Sure, you can say you're a fanatic. Groupie, been fanatic, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Nuts over them. Love the Beatles. But what's I, your favorite? What's your fa- all-time favorite song? Can you nail it down to one? I can. Uh, of course, it's really hard because I love so many of them, and they're all up there. But if I had to pick one and you put a gun to my head, it would be A Day in the Life. It's a great tune. My my most favorite number one song. And mm-hmm. uh, I've been listening to them ever since I was a kid. In fact, I'll even mention way back when I was 13 years old in mm-hmm. 1970, mm-hmm. I had my bar mitzvah. Mm-hmm. And two of the prizes that I gave away at my bar mitzvah were two Beatle albums. It was Let It Be and Abbey Road. Because those were the most current albums at the time. And so I bought those albums and gave them away at my bar mitzvah. So even when I was 13. Did you cry as you gave them away? No, because I had my own. I already had mine. These were extras (laughs) I bought just for the bar mitzvah. So, you know, even back then when I was 13, I was a big Beatles fan. I was, yeah. Were your friends also? Were you? No, not as, a little bit, but not as much as me. Really? So my kids, I have two boys. And so when they were little, of course, I was playing Beatles all the time Mm -hmm. with them in the car, at home. Mm -hmm. So they've really learned all about the Beatles. They know most of the songs, especially my younger son, who's 31 now. He knows all the words, and he's a big Beatles fan. He listens to them when he works out. He listens to them in the car. So he's he's a real—and he's turning his friends on to the Beatles because a lot of them don't have a clue. Yes. I um, We have a a fair amount of— Beatle albums and and we had vinyls and then of course you know CDs. You and still now, have them? Um, I don't know if we still have the vinyls. Um, we do have the CDs. I just saw them this morning, and I think that's just um, we introduced our daughter when she was very little, and now just she too loves it. And she's playing the guitar and she's always plinking out something, and it's. There's always a, a Beatle tune in oh, there. Oh, that's wonderful. Good yeah. for her. Yeah. So she's very up on it. I grew up with the Beatles. Brian did too. And it's, it's just and and something about them. and Carrie, my partner at home, she's a huge, huge Rolling Stones fan. Oh, so that's like uh, wow. that's a real battle at the house. So oh. she thinks the Beatles are very good, but the Stones rule for her so <laughs> she knows that i'm a i think the beatles rule and i'm a stones fan too trust yeah, me sure. but we we are opposites okay. and so we have these stones beatles you know issues mm-hmm. at home <laughs> i get i understand i completely understand so i have been to your office i have seen the toys and the memorabilia so sports and beatles what is what is your favorite Beatle memory piece that you have? And what is your favorite sports piece that you have? 
That's a great question. I would say from the sports side, I have a lot of bobbleheads that I've you know collected from when I go to Dodger games, and I mm-hmm. have a lot of bobbleheads. Uh, I would say probably my favorite are two bobbleheads. Well, one is a bobblehead, Sandy Koufax, who I remember as a kid listening to him pitch mm-hmm. back in the 60s when I was on a transistor radio in mm-hmm. elementary school. So <laughs> Koufax is near and dear to wow. my heart, and so I have a bobblehead of him. And the other is uh, I have a little, uh, it's not a bobblehead, but it's sort of like a little statue, a Vin Scully uh, statue that I have also. It's not him. It's a microphone. It's in honor of him. And Yeah. What is that piece? I saw, I saw it, but I didn't know. It was handed out was. at one of the Dodger games that I went to, and uh-huh. it's just like a, a memorabilia for Vin Scully when, okay. you know, he retired. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's just a commemorating Vin Scully. So. He's also one of my all-time, you know, greats. Growing up listening so to him as a kid yes. to the World Series games yes. and all the Dodger playoff games. Sure. Sure. Crowding around little groups in elementary school during recess with a transistor radio, listening to Vince Scully call the game. A lot of fun. A lot of fun memories. The other the other in uh, in on my walls in my office, uh, Beatle posters. So what would be some of the the, the ones I, that mean the most to me? Hmm. Um there's one poster I have that has all the words and it has a picture of John Lennon and it's, um, uh, in my life, <laughs> which the words mean a lot to me. And so having that poster with all the words written on the poster really speaks to me and I see it every day. That's great. That's probably one of my most favorite ones. That's really wonderful. Yeah. So, wow. you know, go in my office every day and I see Beatle pictures and I see John Lennon's uh, In My Life and, I, and I see Beatles bobbleheads. Not a bad <laughs> place to look at. I like it. <laughs> There's, you have something else in your, in your office and it, and it, it inspired some conversation and that is a baseball bat. And um, from what I understand, there's a small college in Kentucky and they have something called the fish room. <laughs> what the hell is the fish room? Well, I can't tell you what it really is or I'll have to kill you. <laughs> no. Honestly, it is, it, is a, uh, it is the college my younger son went to. He played baseball there mm-hmm. in Division three school. And uh, that college really spoke to my heart. And I've really been quite involved with that college ever since he's been there. They really promoted him and did some great things for him. He became a starting catcher at the school when he was a freshman. He learned how to grow up there. They really pushed him hard. The professors are really dedicated to the undergrad students there. I got to know the president of the school, and it just became a place that I really appreciated and saw the growth that they mm-hmm. that they pushed my son, and uh, he really learned a lot. And so after he graduated... I stayed in touch with the school quite a bit, and mm-hmm. I've really been involved with the school. And so I made a, a donation and uh, to help them build an indoor batting cage because they didn't have one. And out in Kentucky, oh, it gets yeah. pretty cold yeah. in the winter. Yeah. Those poor kids would wear ski masks, gloves. Oh, when they were practicing, you know, before the season started, they had nowhere. And batting was impossible. It was outdoors. Oh, gosh. You know, in 20-degree, single-digit sure. weather, in the snow. <laughs> And I thought, you know, the opportunity came up and they asked me would I want to be a contributor for this indoor batting cage that they were building. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm in. Mm -hmm. Even though Mm -hmm. my son was no longer there and he had graduated, Mm -hmm. I knew what he went through and how horrible it was for them to practice out in the cold. 
So I donated, and they uh, and they named the uh, Fishman Center for the batting indoor really? batting facility after me. Yeah, that is really cool. At first, it was very strange, but it it ended up being pretty cool. I have to say. And the nickname for it is the Fish Room. Yeah, the the, the Fish Center. They the say let's center. go let's go batting at the at the fish at the fish. Yeah, which was by the way my son's nickname growing up really? and mine growing up as well. Fish. Fish. Yeah. So we can just start calling you Fish. Uh, either I or my son will turn around to look. (laughs) (laughs) One of us will look. Two very quick questions. Top of mind. Your favorite car. Probably has to be the one I'm driving now. Which is? A 2009 550 SL. Nice. And I'm not a sports guy. I'm a sports Mm -hmm. car guy. I am not. And I was convinced to to get that car. Mm-hmm. And even though at my age, it's getting a little hard getting in and out of that car mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. but I really love it. It is pretty awesome to drive and to maneuver on the freeway and go around people. It's a, it's a pretty special car. That's fantastic. Yeah. Favorite cartoon when you were a kid? Hands down, without a doubt, it's the Looney Tunes cartoons. Oh. The Bugs Bunny, Roadrunner. Yep. Uh, Road Runner. All, oh yeah, all those. I just love those because to me, even as a kid, they were so advanced and they were so funny. Yet adults can really enjoy them because there's mm-hmm. a lot of adult hidden messages mm-hmm. and, and lingo mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. I just think it's hysterical, and I could watch them to this day. <laughs> I, in fact, I do. <laughs> I watch the Looney Tunes. You know, the Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, uh, Foghorn, Leghorn. Uh, you wouldn't be run, wanting to to write the insurance for the old the old uh, uh, Roadrunner and Coyote uh, for the Coyote. No, that's high risk. Acme. That's yeah. way, Acme. That's way too high risk. Acme I, I would no. Risk. I wouldn't no. But if they want to set up a pension plan, they can give me a there call. There you go. <laughs> Acme. When that comes across your desk, you're going to go like yeah. What? Actually, actually, to this day, if I ever see an Acme and company yeah. named Acme, I yeah. right away think of the Looney Tunes. Sure. Always. Sure. So those are, those are for sure my, my favorite. I could watch them to this day. Mark Fishman, thank you. Jerry, this is a pleasure. I really had a good time. Thank you so much. Presented by Echelon Business Development. More than just networking. Way more.